I'm Eileen Dunn and this is The God Slot. On Wednesday, the Irish Catholic bishops issued a statement saying that three of the four options proposed by the expert group on abortion could never be morally justified and in an unprecedented move, four of their representatives took part in a vigil outside Leinster House. From next Wednesday, Pope Benedict goes on Twitter and his representatives will be tweeting from at Pontifex. End of the world anxiety has Russian so tightly in its grip that the Russian government felt the need to address the situation and the Minister of Emergency Situations Vladimir Puchkov reassured citizens the world wouldn't end in December and that he had access to methods of monitoring what was occurring on the planet Earth. On Tuesday, the Church of Ireland bishops Alan Abernathy and Harold Miller issued a statement deploring the violence in Belfast the previous night following the decision of the City Council to only fly the Union Jack on designated days. Violence continued during the week, putting a damper on Mrs Hillary Clinton's visit this morning. The Right Reverend Harold Miller is the Bishop of Down and Dromore. He spoke by phone to Gerry McArdle. Back in the horrid days of the Troubles, which we thought we had left behind, but back in those days, if you were in a country outside of Ireland, nobody was talking in terms of unionist and nationalist. They were always talking in terms of Protestant versus Catholic and vice versa. And I'm just wondering, has this business got anything to do at all with flying the flag? Or is this a symptom of sectarian violence and tensions that have never really gone away. I think there is no doubt about it that sectarianism is not the kind of thing that goes away with an agreement. Uh, Sectarianism is something that can be deeply in people's hearts and in people's minds, in their way of thinking and in their attitudes. And I think that all of us in Ireland, if we truly examine ourselves, will have some sectarian attitude somewhere or other in our being. I remember once being in Birmingham, Alabama, and I was taken to a beautiful club for a meal with three other people. And I said to my wife as we were driving up, I bet you that all the waiters will be black and all the customers will be white And we were sitting in the club, and this turned out to be absolutely true. And uh, a gentleman was talking to my wife, and he said to her, tell me, why can Catholics and Protestants not get on in Ireland? Uh, And I said to him, did I hear him correctly? Because it was clear that in Birmingham, Alabama, after all the civil rights movements and everything else, there were still attitudes there many decades later which were lingering on. Uh, And I don't think we should be at all surprised that in Ireland, and especially in Northern Ireland, there will be aspects of sectarianism which will linger on. Now, you know, Bishop, that we've had our our problems in the Republic of Ireland with uh, with the Catholic Church. Uh, So is there still a distrust on the part of loyalists or Protestants uh, of, of the Republic of Ireland, that, you know, home rule, Rome rule, that sort of thing? Oh, well, now, I, I have lived in the Republic for, oh, goodness me, I can't remember how many years now. I, I lived in the Republic for 12 years. My wife's from the Republic. I was educated in the Republic at university. Uh, so I'm not the best person to really ask about that because I would have no fear whatever 
that home rule is Rome rule nowadays. And I think anybody with any wit uh, would have no fear that that would be the case. Uh, I don't imagine that that's a strong fear any longer. Uh, it may have been, I'm sure it was true in 1912. I don't think it's true in 2012. How good is your relationship with your Roman Catholic counterparts? Absolutely wonderful. In fact, I, I spent a long afternoon with my uh, co-bishop in, in uh, Dromore just uh, a few last week, and uh, I couldn't have a warmer and better relationship. And uh, we often issue statements together. Uh, we share. Uh, issues in our lives and ministry together and it's a very very good relationship indeed now i noticed that your uh, press release finishes with uh, a, a sort of prayer if you like that uh, the one that we honor whose birth we honor at christmas that uh, the, the peace of the christ child will speak more powerfully uh, would you like to finish this interview with a prayer and with a message for the people who are involved in this kind of sectarian violence Yes, I think the most amazing thing about the Incarnation uh, is that a little baby in a stable in Bethlehem, uh, weak, powerless in human terms, apparently so, uh, and uh, with, with nothing really in this world, has become the greatest force for good ever uh, because that little baby is the Son of God. And I do really believe that in the midst of all these situations where there is fear and uncertainty and fighting and bitterness, that the power of the Christ child and the power of love is stronger than any other power. And my prayer is that that will shine through this Christmas. The Bishop of Down and Dromore, the Right Reverend Harold Miller, talking to Jerry McArdle. 800 years ago, the first monastery of the Poor Clare Sisters was founded in Assisi in Italy. It's believed that the then 18-year-old Clare defied her wealthy parents' wishes to marry a young nobleman and ran off to establish a monastery based on the tradition established by St Francis of Assisi, whom she admired enormously. Since then, monasteries have been established all over the world. On behalf of the God Slot, Nuala Macklin visited the Poor Clare Convent of St Damien on Simmons Court Road in Dublin and met the Abbess Sister Patrice and Sister Marie. She began, though, by talking to Sister Bridget, who told her something about the founder, St Clare. I might tell you she, she had to be a strong courage to choose this way of life. At least we entered something that was established. But she embarked on this with no blueprint at all. She had to work it out for herself. How to live this ideal of poverty and gospel living, you know. But of course the family wanted her to marry her to some aristocrat and strengthen the family bonds, you know, to follow her vocation. She had to just slip away on Palm Sunday night. She slipped away when she got to St Mary of the Angels. St Francis gave her the rough habit. Our habits are very simply made, just cut out in the shape of a cross and... uh made to fit the individual. We use whatever materials are going at the time. They last us a long time. They're washable and practical. And your white headdress. Yes, we make those ourselves. We make them ourselves. And the black veil. Black Black veil is a symbol of our profession, yes. And your white 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 cord. The four knots that symbolise our four holy vows, poverty, chastity, obedience and enclosure. And your rosary beads. Yes, our rosary beads we carry this. We get at our reception... I carried this when I got to my reception and I was received into the order. I hope to carry it with me through life. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And, you know, it's quite chilly today and I can't help noticing 
your toes in your sandals. <laughs> Are you not a little bit chilly yourself? And now, praise the Lord. No, no, I'm comfortable. I'm used to it. I'm used to it. I wouldn't even think of it. <laughs> thank God. Well, thank God. God's deciding to choose this way of life we had to decide why I felt for me it was here I would have the most influence in the world I could reach all people all souls at all times by prayer, by being united with our Lord, I wanted to bring his love to as many people as possible and I feel this is the vocation where I have the ability to do that, that's for me I felt it was the most powerful way of life I could have chosen I can well understand how people would feel like that, especially to a person without faith, that one needs faith to appreciate the contemplative life. One needs faith to appreciate the prayer life or the power of the spiritual life. Our Lord said in some of the towns he visited, he said he could work no mighty miracle there because of the lack of faith, lack of faith that blocks the action of Christ. Holy sometimes tell us they walk past the gate and they say like, why do those women do that and it makes them think that's one purpose of, of being here we do make people think of the transcendent and of God and of the values that count and that we can bring with us into eternity we can't bring money, we can't bring possessions I would say the same thing things have changed particularly in Ireland from I say my youth we're all taught our religion, both at home and at school. And so Catholicism was, it was the only real thing we had, we felt, when we were children. And years after I went away and came back uh, four years ago, I, I saw a very, very different Ireland altogether. The little bit I saw from here, and that wasn't much, I suppose. We did get the wires a few years before I left home. <laughs> and that was the first lot of wires all the country people got anyway. But the news was all good news. <laughs> and now it seems all bad news. Uh, somebody dead, somebody killed, somebody done this murder and that murder. The odd time I do hear it, that's why what I hear. Now I think if that's the picture of Ireland today, yes, it has changed terribly. We came from God and we're going back to God. How are we going to go back to Him unless we have some contact with something? of him in this part. I joined in our community in Southampton. <laughs> well, I thought <laughs> that I had done everything practically, as it were, in my life nursing, and I had studied everything I wanted to study. I liked the work I was doing, and I liked the nurses always. I liked them too because I could keep the faith alive in most of them. Uh, retreats and things like that and arrange them for them. Uh, that was extra, of course, different. Then I thought they were all able to do that themselves. <laughs> so I could go on and do that. And so I did. I felt that this was what God was calling me to do, that this was the best way that I could spend my life. And I have always been very happy here. 
There were many other avenues of life open to me at that time, as they were open to everyone. But as I say, we always make choices. Nobody can do everything. I knew that God wouldn't fail me if it didn't work out. I had absolutely no anxiety. I went forward in peace. Thanks be to God. I had a sense of being at the end of my life and looking back. And I just wondered now, when I get to that point, what do I want to have done with my life? I really felt that the contemplative life was the most effective way I could spend my time. My aunt, who lived with us, used to read the story of a soul, St. Teresa's autobiography, and uh, used to think, if ever I'm a nun, I'd, I'd like to be an, a nun like her, <laughs> contemplative, you know, away from the hustle and bustle and still able to carry the world in our hearts. My aim is to bring all people to heaven with me with God's help. do you sisters do for fun? For fun? <laughs> well, I don't know. I'm too old for the fun now, but anyway. <laughs> I better say that. I don't want much fun anyway. <laughs> After all these years, I'm happy at anything. But uh, we have recreation every day for an hour. Sewing or knitting or talking or <laughs> singing or <laughs> doing anything. sister has a calendar and herself with a snippet for every day at the weekend. Yesterday it was a, a clever man can tell a woman's age, a wise man never will. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was very good. <laughs> that report on the poor Clares was compiled by Nuala Macklin. The poor Clares in Galway have brought out a lovely book of simple wisdom and prayers called Calm the Soul, which would make an ideal Christmas gift. It's published by Hachette Books Ireland. And on Sunday the 16th of December at 10 here on RTE Radio 1 in Miriam Meets, Miriam O'Callaghan talks to those poor Clare sisters in Galway. The Christian season of Advent began last Sunday and the Jewish festival of Hanukkah begins tomorrow night. On a recent visit to Ireland, progressive Jewish rabbi Anna Gerard met Jerry McArdle and explained the festival to him. Um, Hanukkah means consecration. Um, le, the Hanukkah bait is the consecration of a house. Um, and Hanukkah is a celebration of the victory of the Maccabees, um, against the Greeks. So after the destruction of the temple, a group of um, kind of Jewish revolutionaries um, tried to reconsecrate the temple and, and gain the right to, um, to practice their religion. So really it's about religious freedom. Um, and Hanukkah celebrates the time when they did have a victory in um, overpowering the Greeks and consecrating the temple for a period of eight days. So that's why we, we celebrate the festival. Um, and for me, as a, as a liberal rabbi, I'm less interested in the uh, sort of the, the military side of it, um, and, but, but very um, connected to the idea that everybody should have the right to practice their, their religion. That religious freedom is incredibly important, um, and although these you know great empires that imposed um, 
that imposed their practices on all of the people they conquered are long in the past. Um, there are lots of places in the world where people don't have religious freedom. People of all different religions in, in different areas don't have that freedom. And that's something that we have to constantly strive for and, and be aware of. So Hanukkah helps us to, to think about it every year. So Hanukkah in your average Jewish household, what goes on? Um, the main feature of Hanukkah is lighting the candles, lighting the Hanukkiah, the Hanukkah candles. Um, a Hanukkiah has space for nine candles, eight which are the, the candles of the eight days of Hanukkah, and one which is slightly elevated, which is the kind of the servant candle, the shamash. A Hanukkah is like a, a candelabra, let's say. Candelabra. candelabra. That's the word I was looking for. Yep, candelabra. a candelabra. Um, and on the first day, you light one can well you light the the guide candle and then one candle on the second day two third day three right up to the eighth day so every day you're bringing more light into into the home um and there are various blessings and, and songs that go along with this um and as well as focusing on freedom and, and all of those things it's also about the miracle of the oil so the reason we light the candles um and some people actually light oil lamps rather than candles is because the story tells us that when the Maccabees re-consecrated the temple, re-dedicated the temple, they only found a small pot of oil enough to last for one day. And a miracle happened and it lasted for eight days. So the other theme of Hanukkah, and I think a really important theme in most traditions in the middle of winter when it's dark and miserable, is just the, the theme of everyday miracles, um, of bringing light into the world by appreciating things as miracles so just really loving the world and loving the the incredible things we see in it in in a way um the christian festival of christmas mirrors that doesn't it because it's we chose to have it in midwinter and the idea of bringing in green branches and into the house and lighting everything it's very much a similar idea isn't it absolutely hanukkah christmas diwali all of these winter festivals are about giving giving hope, giving light, giving warmth, um, uplifting the spirit and reminding people about you know, brighter and easier times in the middle of winter. Um, perhaps in the modern age it's less relevant because winter's less of a hardship for us, but we can imagine a time when winter really was a time when you didn't know you were going to make it through the next three months. And to have something that just lifted your spirit and gave you the morale to keep going um, is, a, is a basic human need. So I don't think that that's... You know, the origin of these festivals but it's certainly the reason that they're there in the winter to, to you know to keep us uplifted now the one thing i've noticed uh, in doing this program and in talking to jewish people is that in jewish festivals food always features so are there special types of food there are indeed um as many Jewish festivals go, it's about us overcoming adversity. Um, so, you know, they tried to wipe us out. We survived. Um, let's eat, basically. Um, and let's eat on Hanukkah, rather craftily, is um, anything fried in oil because of the miracle of the oil. So we get to eat all the most unhealthy foods. The main foods are donuts and latkes, which are like potato pancakes or hash browns. Um, so it's not a particularly healthy festival. Um, but again, it's the middle of winter. You need fuel to keep you going and uh, it's definitely a fun festival we also eat chocolate money on uh, Hanukkah which is because traditionally you'd have something called Hanukkah gelt um, which was which were actual coins so children would be given coins um, one on each day of Hanukkah there's no tradition of Hanukkah presents although more recently the Jewish communities adopted that idea sort of from Christmas really um, but the idea of Hanukkah gelt has turned into uh, chocolate money 
that is, uh, that is given to people in abundance on Hanukkah. Another thing I've, I've noticed about Jewish people is that um, everything is very family orientated. So do the children play a big part? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, most communities would have a Hanukkah party um, for all ages, but definitely focused on families and children. Um, celebrating Hanukkah in the home is very much a family affair. Every evening at around sunset, so this time of year, sort of four or five o'clock, everyone gathers together and lights the Hanukkah and, and, and sings the blessings. Um, it's... It's a fun festival. It's not a religious festival. It's not one of our actual holy days. You don't have a service for it. Um, it, it is just a. It is just a festival, a party, really. It begins tomorrow night. How long does it go on for? It lasts for eight days, but because Jewish days begin in the evening um, and finish the following evening, so it runs from uh, tomorrow night, Saturday the eighth of December, right through to the following Saturday evening. And does any work get done at all during this period? Yeah, absolutely. It's not a major festival. People don't take time off work. Um, you just mark it every evening. Some people will go to a Hanukkah party with friends and families. Some people will go to a Hanukkah party at the community. An average person might go to two or three parties during the course of the week, but actually the, it's not that religious that you take time off work, so you get on with your life the rest of the time. I, I notice, and I was talking to another rabbi about this, that uh, Jewish people seem to be very temperate when it comes to alcohol. And he was saying that this stems from uh, childhood and a lot of the festivals where they have to drink this sickly sweet sacramental wine and it kind of puts you off a bit. Uh, does, does wine feature? <laughs> I've not heard that theory before. Um, there is what we call Kiddush wine, um, which is sacred wine. Um, and it is pretty revolting, I've got to say. i would never heard the theory that that's what um, makes Jews drink less. But <laughs> um, the, the Kiddush wine is not, because it's not a religious festival, it's not part of Hanukkah. Um, you can drink if you want at a Hanukkah party, but there's no Kiddush wine, so there's no traumas. <laughs> and finally, is there a special blessing that a rabbi would give at this time of the year? Um, not that a rabbi would give. We don't have a tradition that rabbis give blessings, but we have a lot of blessings. Everything we do has a blessing that um, enables us to stop and remember that what we're doing is, is, is special, is sacred, and that we're doing it for a reason. So we say um, two blessings when we light the Hanukkah candles. One is um, we, we praise your eternal one, sovereign of the universe, who sanctified us through your commandments and um, commanded us to light the Hanukkah candles. So the basic blessing of the lighting of the candles but the second one's really lovely and it's about appreciating the miracle of the oil but really appreciating miracles in our life um, and it goes Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam she'asani sim la'avoteinu v'yamim ha'hem bazman hazeh we praise you eternal one sovereign of the universe who performed miracles for our ancestors in those days at that time and I think I would say that who performs miracles on a daily basis for us and brings blessings and joy into our life um, in these days and at this time. So can I wish you happy Hanukkah? You absolutely can. Happy Hanukkah to you too. Rabbi Anna Gerard. Her conversation with Jerry ranged over many topics and we'll bring you more highlights from it at a later date. Just before we go, on Sunday evening on RTE1 television at half past ten in The Moment of Truth, Blonadney Coffey interviews former IRA man turned informer Sean O'Callaghan. Also, on Tuesday at a quarter past ten on RTE1, the Ryark Squad continues to document how a team of filmmaker priests televised revolutionary changes in Ireland and abroad, yet somehow missed a big story on their own patch. 
Next week, among other items, we'll revisit the scandal that rocked Ireland 20 years ago, the story of Bishop Casey and Annie Murphy. Your comments, as always, are welcome. You can email us at godslot at rte.ie, phone us at 01208 or write to us at the Godslot, RTE Radio 1, Dublin 4. Until next Friday at the same time, Sloan is Banach. Cause I gotta have faith. Mm-hmm.